Everyone has this. Every day we're alive, we receive the same amount of it. No one who lives through today in its entirety will get more of it than anyone else. The richest person on earth, the most famous celebrity in Hollywood, and the poorest child in a big city slum get the same amount of it. Some call it the great equalizer. Some wish they had more of it and think that that would solve their issues. Some realize its value only when it's gone. Some let it rule their lives. What is it? Time. What's your relationship with time? Do you see it as your friend or your enemy? Do you wish you had more or less time? Do you wish time went faster or slower? And how do you handle the pressures of our time conscious society? Mark Buchanan, who wrote the book, The Rest of God, Restoring Your Soul by Restoring Sabbath, comments on two Greek words we find in the Bible regarding time, chronos and kairos. Chronos is the root for words like chronology, chronicle and chronic. This is the time of the clock and the calendar. And then there is kairos, the time of seasons and opportunity and gift. It sees a moment, hour, day, or year as ripe for something. The kairos stand to, stance towards time is quite foreign to most of us. Buchanan notes that Kronos was the name of a minor Greek god who was very nasty. He was a glutton and a cannibal. He always consumed. And Buchanan remarks that Kronos is the presiding god over the driven in our culture today. The key question people ask who are serving Kronos as time is what time is it? What time is it? and time is their ruler. Kairos, on the other hand, sees time as a gift. It is time pregnant with purpose. It aligns with Ecclesiastes 3, which says there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. Play, work, sleep, love, worship, listening. God makes everything beautiful in his time, according to Ecclesiastes. Buchanan writes, Kronos always betrays us. It devours the beauty it creates. Either we end up as driven, racing hard against time, desperate to seize beauty, but always grasping smoke and ashes, seeking purpose, but only finding emptiness, or we learn to follow the scent of eternity in everyday life. We begin to orient toward kairos. We start to sanctify some of our time. And this is the gift of God, to experience the sacred amidst the commonplace, to taste heaven in our daily bread, 
to find joy in the ache of our muscles or the tiredness of our brain after a hard day's work. To keep Sabbath, most of us must change our minds about time. We must stop feeding Kronos and start sanctifying time. And this is part of living wisely according to the wisdom of God. The main point of today's message goes like this. To go forward in wise living, we have to stop to consider the time. And this is part of the series entitled Finding Rest and Renewal in God. We started by considering that God rested after six days of creation. And he didn't rest because he was tired. He rested because he was finished. And he wanted to enjoy the creation, which was very good. And then we saw that God invites us to enter his rest throughout the Bible, and we looked at Jesus' invitation to come to me and to find rest for your souls in me. And we saw that the practice of Sabbath, both as a day and as a perspective, was necessary to open our lives up to the rest of God. And then we looked at our need to stop and think anew. We looked at some negative thinking patterns. We considered taking thoughts captive, especially those that lead us away from Christ. And then we looked at the Mary and Martha story. Mary sat at Jesus' feet while Martha was busy and upset with many things. And we learned of our need to pay attention to that which is most important, our relationship with Jesus Christ. And Sabbath gives us space to do that. And then last week, we looked at stopping to see God's bigness. And we learned that we need to rehearse God's sovereignty first when threats come into our lives and then go to him for help. Well, today, we're going to look at something called wise living in the eyes of God. And part of wise living includes stopping to consider the time. And I want you to see today three pieces of wise living that are going to be found in our passage. And then we're going to focus on our attitude towards time. We will consider a way to more intentionally live according to kairos rather than chronos. And I pray that God will use this to help us make the best use of the time that he gives us. So our text today is Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to focus on verses 15 to 20. It's page 830 in the Bibles that are in front of you, if you want to follow along. But I'm going to read verses 1 to 21 to put this in context. So Ephesians 5, verses 1 to 21, and this is the Apostle Paul writing to Christians in the ancient city of Ephesus and the surrounding region. And he writes this, Therefore... Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure 
or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything becomes vis- that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter, is teaching Christians about living in response to all that God has done for us through Christ. And the first three chapters of Ephesians focus on all God has done for us. We cannot live wisely without the power of Christ in us. And we can only access this power because of Jesus' death. Because we need to be reconciled with God to live lives that honor God. To receive the wisdom of God and the power to live wisely We must acknowledge our sin and our practice of going our own way. We must believe that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the one promised by God, that he is Lord over all. And we must receive him into our lives as Savior and Lord. And through our faith, God pours his gospel, which does so many things for us, regenerating us, justifying us, giving us the Holy Spirit and the power to live a God-honoring life. And this is all described in detail in Ephesians 1 to 3. Then the second half of the book focuses on our response to all that God has done for us through Jesus. In fact, in chapter 4, verse 1, Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, so he's writing this letter from prison, urge you, to walk or live in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So Ephesians 4 to 6 portrays the life of someone who is appropriately responding to all that God has done in them and for them through Christ. And our passage is part of this response. So in chapter 5, verse 1 and verse 2, Paul reminds them again about living in response to God's great gift. Notice verse 2, which says, And walk in love as Christ loved us 
and gave himself up for us. So there again, you see the motivation for living this way is because of what Christ has done. And then verses 3 to 14 talk about the contrast between living in darkness apart from God and living in light in step with God. And he gives examples of behaviors that reveal a life lived in the darkness compared to the life lived in the light or in step with God. He reminds us in verse 8 that we once walked in darkness and that we need to set ourselves apart or separate ourselves from those who walk in darkness so that we are not led down that path. As children of light, our lives need to be different. And that's the teaching of verses 3 to 14, which leads us into our passage in verse 15. And it starts simply by saying this, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So here is the call to wise living. What does living wisely involve? Well, it involves learning God's wisdom and then living according to it. It involves learning God's wisdom and then living according to it by the power of Christ. It means to live according to God's light and God's ways. In Christ, we have been enlightened to God's wisdom. And we find it throughout his word. There's a whole section in the Old Testament called wisdom literature, including the Psalms and the Proverbs. But the wisdom of God is found throughout his word. And we can learn this wisdom. We recognize we will not know all the wisdom of God. There are many pieces of God's wisdom that are hidden and will remain hidden to us because we just can't understand them but we can learn the practical wisdom for life that God gives us through his word. But wise living involves much more than learning. This wisdom must be applied to our lives. In God's eyes, a wise person not only gains knowledge, but lives out that knowledge, lives skillfully according to the wisdom of God. Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And we need to ask the Holy Spirit to empower us to live according to the wisdom of God. Now someone might ask, why would anyone want to live according to God's wisdom? Isn't that kind of restrictive? and oppressive to let someone else prescribe how we live? Well, the answer to that question is yes, if the highest value in our lives is individual autonomy or self-rule. Then we will be troubled by living according to God's wisdom. But such living is good for us. It leads to benefit and blessing. It avoids the pain of natural consequences or foolish living. God is not on an ego trip forcing people to obey him so he can feel powerful. God provides his wisdom for our good to help us navigate the complexities of our world and of our lives. So wise living involves learning God's wisdom and then living according to it. And then Paul gives three examples of what wise living looks like in the form of commands. 
What does wise living look like for a follower of Christ? Number one, we make the best use of time because the days are evil. Now, some of your Bible translations might say, make the most of every opportunity or redeem the time. And the word redeem is a marketplace word, and it basically means to buy up. You buy up, you snatch up, you take up the opportunity that is before you. It means to use the time given to you in the best God-honoring way possible. So the wise person does not waste time, but makes the most of it. So if you look back over your life this past week, how would you evaluate your use of the time that you had? And if we're honest, some of the time this past week was probably used for very good purposes. And some of the time that we had this past week, we probably wasted. And some of the time we had this week, we may have even used it to sin. And so the challenge is, how much of our time use glorifies God? A wise Christian, a wise person will make the best use of the time that God gives to them. And notice in the second half of verse 16, he gives motivation for making the best use of time. He says, because the days are evil. Now, what does that mean? Well, one possibility is that this phrase, the evil days, refers to the days before the return of Christ. So good days will be coming when Christ returns. The days before are the evil days. So this could mean make the most or the best use of your time because the days are short. Christ could come back any time. And if you knew that Jesus Christ was coming back to end history on, say, March the 25th, you would probably change some of the plans that you have made. And you would want to have the conversations that you need to have with people in your life who don't know Christ. Or you would want to say the things that you want to say that need to be said to people close to you. Or maybe you want to do the things that you want to do or have always wanted to do with a loved one before history ends. But none of us know when Christ is returning, but we are to live in light of the possibility Christ could return at any time. And that would be a motivation then to say, okay, Christ could return anytime, so I'm going to make the best use of my time because I don't know how long I have, whether it's in my own life or until the return of Christ. So that's one possibility for the meaning of the days are evil. The other possibility is that the days are evil refers to the evil in our lives, the evil that opposes us. So we need to fight through the evil to make the best use of the time that God gives us. Commentators make this point. Wisdom is especially needed in an evil age where the pathway of holiness is not always clear until one reflects upon God's word and discerns his holy will. Another writes, there is great pressure to misuse opportunity today. Christians must not relax, but overcome the pressure in their own lives and use every chance to turn others from darkness to light. So if you were to say to yourself, you know, I need to spend more time in the Word. 
I need to spend more time in prayer. I need to make space to gather with other Christians where we can read scripture together, where we can be in community together, and we can spur one another on in our faith. Say you've decided that in your mind. Do you think that the devil is going to sit around and let that happen with no opposition? Oh yeah, that's fine. Spend more time in God's word, in prayer, and being encouraged in your faith. No, he is going to throw all kinds of distractions, all kinds of obstacles, all kinds of excuses, all kinds of other stuff to try to prevent you from using your time for God's glory. Make the best use of your time because the days are evil and evil presents these obstacles to making the best use of the time. And the rise Christian takes up this fight, looks carefully how they live and what they give their time to. And when we do that, it is more likely that we will make the best use of the time given to us. So one portion of wise living that we find in this passage involves making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Number two, wise living involves seeking to understand the will of the Lord and not be foolish. Verse 17 Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And this relates to learning the wisdom of God. Just as God gives us his wisdom, he also reveals his will. And he reveals his general will, and he will reveal his specific will for our lives. Now, of course, the question that we are most interested in asking is what is God's will for my life, isn't it? And we ask this question when we face a decision, when we come to a crossroads, when we're charting a course of action, and it is good to bring this question to the Lord. We need to seek the Lord to find out his specific will for things in our lives. But sometimes we have to wait a long time to receive the answers to specific questions that we have for God about his specific will for our lives. During those times, it is critical for us to continue to follow the general will of God that applies to all Christians at all times. We must guard against excusing ourselves from following God's general will until he reveals to us his specific will. If we're waiting for an answer, we don't have justification to say, well, God's not answering me, so I'm just going to ignore the Ten Commandments. I'm going to ignore what the Bible says until he gives me the answer. No, we must continue to follow the commands of the Lord, to love God, to love our neighbors, to learn, to understand the general will of God. And a lot of times when we're doing that, God speaks to us about specific things in our lives. Remember when I graduated from seminary, I came out thinking, I can do anything. God, you can send me anywhere, and I can do anything, and I will figure out whatever is needed. Well, I had a lot to learn. I had a lot of maturing to do, both in life and spiritually, still do. And I needed to follow the general will of God of learning to walk with him day by day. So we must 
follow the general will of God while seeking the specific will of God for our lives. And that is wise living, to continually seek and discover God's will, generally and specifically for our lives. And then there's a third example of wise living given in verse 18. Living wisely involves being filled with the Spirit. Do not get drunk with wine, verse 18, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Wise Christian living involves being filled with the Holy Spirit. And in verses 19 and 20, he gives us examples of what that looks like. People filled with the Spirit sing songs and make melody to the Lord. People filled with the Spirit constantly give thanks to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So one way to test whether or not we're being filled with the Spirit is to think about and examine what's coming out of our hearts. Are, are, they, are they songs to the Lord? Is it a general attitude of thanksgiving or is it something else? But what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, Paul helps us by giving us that contrary example in verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery. Well, what happens to someone who is drunk? They experience a loss of control of their mind. They lose good judgment. Their brain experiences impairment. They lose a sense of modesty or propriety before God. So to be filled with the Spirit is the exact opposite of that. The Spirit-filled person shows the fruit of the Spirit, including self-control. The Spirit guides their thinking and their judgment. The Spirit gives wisdom and power to live holy lives without being judgmental or condescending to others. Whereas fullness of wine leads to debauchery, fullness of the Spirit leads to singing songs to the Lord and thankfulness to God. One commentator writes, the Christian knows a better way than wine of being lifted above the depression and joyless monotony of life. It is being filled with the Spirit. Well, how do you do that? How can we get filled by the Spirit? Well, first, we must recognize who God is through praise and adoration. We recognize who God is through praise and adoration. We confess our sins and we invite the Spirit to inv invade us, to evaluate us, to convict us. We repent and we resolve. We're going to walk according to the Spirit. We're going to turn away from their sin, that sin. And then we open our lives up to the Spirit's empowering and filling. And this is a repeated, continual process. This is not a one-time event. It's, if you could translate into English... What's being said here, it means to be continually filled with the Spirit. We must do this again and again, opening our lives up to the filling of the Spirit. So those are the three examples or indicators of wise living. One, make the best use of time, for the days are evil. Two, seek to understand the will of the Lord. Three, be filled with the Spirit. And God's pathway to wise living is available to anyone. Just like we all receive the same amount of time in a particular day, this pathway is accessible to anyone. He wants the best for us. He has given extensive instruction on wise living, and he promises us to empower wise living. Living this way can bring purpose and meaning. 
for all of our life, for every day, for every hour of our lives. So, how might we begin, in light of all of this, to change our relationship to time? And this brings us back to this question, finding rest and renewal in God. Well, we need to change our relationship, or we might need to change our relationship towards time. And I think Buchanan gave us a good start with his discussion about chronos and kairos. And remember the question that Kronos, those serving Kronos ask? What time is it? What time is it? And that question can generate a state of hurry and anxiety and tension and the clock or the calendar rule us. But think about how things could change if we asked another question. What is this time for? So instead of what time is it, what is this time for? Especially from God's perspective. And think about how that opens our eyes to many possibilities. If we ask this question of God, it is more likely that we will use the time he gives as a gift for his greater purposes. And it will take some time to consider the times. It will take some space like Sabbath to ask, what is this time for? And get a solid answer. Yet such pauses have the potential to rescue us from the tyranny of the urgent and of the clock. And instead, we can enjoy the time God gives us rather than treating it like a scarce resource that needs to be clutched and grabbed. So to close our time today, I want to invite you, first of all, to imagine the loving gaze of Jesus' face upon you. Okay, so you can close your eyes as we conclude and imagine the loving gaze of Jesus Christ upon you. And then taking note of his loving gaze upon you. Ask this question. What is this time today for, Lord? What do you want me to do with this time I have today, Sunday, March 19th, 2023? Or you can ask him, what is this time in my life for? What is this time in my life for? And Lord Jesus, we need to sit with you for a while to receive answers to those questions, especially the second one. And yet, you are willing to speak to us. You are willing to answer prayer. You are willing to guide us if we will only come. And it's not going to be easy, Lord, because time, the tyranny of time can rule us and rule our culture and it might be so ingrained in us that we cannot think of any other way than to be ruled by the clock. 
but you change hearts, Lord. You can change our thinking. You can save us from tyranny that we live under every day. And so I pray that you will help us individually, as families, as a church, to ask that question of you. What is this time for? And we look forward to your answers. We pray this in your name. Amen.